0: Welcome to a time dilation edition, that means it's extended, of the Two Minute Time Lord podcast, number 204. I'm Chip, and today I'm bringing with me some ambassadors from the American cult TV side of the fence. Jeff, Chris, and Chuck are the hosts of the Television Zombies podcast, and they bring a different perspective to watching Doctor Who... Let's find out how things are going on this side of the pond after the record-breaking debut of The Impossible Astronaut on BBC America. And like I said, I am here with uh, three friends uh, who I've talked to a lot over the last couple of years, but never on this show. I'm in the presence of the undead. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, the television zombies. Hi, guys. Hey. Hey, Chip. Howdy doody.
1: Thanks for having us on. Okay, we appreciate it. Okay, I don't know if we can keep this to two minutes, though.
0: We cannot. That's why this is the, the time dilation's the branding I use to, time to, to let me to let me just uh, throw away any pretense of discipline here. Uh, left from left to right makes absolutely no sense. So uh, just randomly, who
1: are you guys? This is uh, this is Jeff. Uh, my name is Jeff Barris. I live in Washington D.C. Soon to move to Arlington, Virginia, and um. I am one of the co-hosts of the Television Zombies podcast. Fantastic!
0: And uh, your partner, your local partner in crime—that's <laughs> uh, me,
2: uh, Chris Piers. I uh, co-host the show with Jeff. We've been doing it for three years now, and uh, I'm in Alexandria, Virginia. And we also have our
3: pal, oh Chuck. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> like, whoever you do are, that that was, that but, but maybe good. he can yeah.
2: edit that up. <laughs> Maybe you can tighten
3: that up. Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: Th- I'll totally edit that out.
3: Uh, my name's Chuck Carnegie. I, I live in uh, Washington State, so the other Washington. The and, C.K. Uh,
0: capital of the world. But you yes. don't do that anymore. No, no, we don't.
3: No, we switch it up every once every in once a while. Every once in a while, we bury it up.
0: But yes. yes, Television Zombies is the most popular podcast on the internet. Uh, absolutely. So you guys tell me. And uh, what do you guys cover on Television Zombies?
1: Well, we cover uh, a lot of genre TV, like Doctor mm-hmm. Who or Game of Thrones or Lost or Battlestar Galactica when it was on. Um, we also cover other shows that we like that aren't necessarily under the speculative fiction umbrella, but Maybe are something we,
2: like Funny Like Archer or It's Always Sunny, Sunny in Philadelphia, f- Louis. Adventure
1: Brothers,
2: Walking Dead. Genre stuff anyway, basic, serialized basic. shows.
0: Basically, cult TV, right?
2: Kinda, yeah. And and so we, we, we do news every week, like the latest TV news. We do roundtable discussions amongst each other for for opinions on what you know aspects of the and, shows like and don't.
1: And Chris uh, gets us a lot of really high profile interviews. Yeah, what who he... have you guys talked to lately?
2: Let's see. Um, well, in the Doctor Who world, in in the latest episode, uh, we talked to Tony Lee. The writer of IDW's uh, Doctor Who comics, of course, and uh, that was pretty awesome. He's and, a great guy. Um, he yeah, re- yeah,
0: he doesn't return my calls anymore. I don't think our trip to Los Angeles meant anything to him.
2: Oh, uh, I'm sure that's <laughs> not true. No, he was a great guy to uh, talk to, and uh, and then I've got one that I'm going to be actually doing tomorrow night. So that'll be in our next episode. Uh, I'm talking to a, a guy named James Isles, who's a uh, the storyboard artist for Sherlock and Doctor Who, as well as a few other uh, artistic tasks for the oh, BBC shows.
0: Awesome. That's a, that's a scoop, folks.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no. I, I'm excited for that.
0: How long have you been doing television zombies?
1: It's been about three years. Um, we started, ooh, I'm trying to think of the year now. I guess if it's three years, we've been doing it yeah, since Yeah, I mean, it was, during
2: the, it was right at the September, like, season, so so 7 to 8, 8 to 9, 9 to 10. No, I think it would have been 2008, Joe.
1: Yeah, we started the season that Sarah Connor Chronicles premiered, as well as Journeyman, and I'm trying to think of Chuck and some other shows that are mostly gone now. but uh, but that, <laughs> Lost th- Doctor
2: Who and Battlestar Galactica were kind of bread and butter for a little while at the beginning, but, but we don't focus on any one show. That's sort of why we're able to keep getting excited about doing this show three years in and and like our audience can, can jump in at any time because, you know, we just sort of transition to whatever we like, whatever we think is good.
0: As opposed yeah. to unitaskers like me, I think I told you early on that I don't watch a whole lot of TV, but what I do watch, I watch really well.
2: Well, I, re- I respect what you do on this chip because you, you actually, uh, you know, prepare and, and have a point of view about something very specific, but, and, it takes a lot more preparation in some ways than, than what we do with our show, which, which is a little bit more freeform.
3: No, so I just, when, you, when, when you have a niche, you tend to get like a certain dedicated viewership or listenership in this case. So it's like <clears throat> you're kind of guaranteed listeners, you're kind of guaranteed ears because they know what they're getting into
0: yeah, but it, it, it's not it's not all that hard. I basically just uh, <laughs> sit straight upright and sound pompous for about three minutes and fool people into thinking it's entertaining. Now, uh, the reason I asked you guys on is uh, just Doctor Who's just blowing up all of a sudden. Last year was especially the, here year. in the US. Yeah, exactly. last year last year was good, but it's just been crazy. Uh, but unlike a lot of Doctor Who podcasters, you guys are generalists you you don't uh you don't live and breathe Doctor Who all the time and I wanted to talk with you guys and get your perspectives on how the series is going now and uh, what you think of it and sort of put it in context for the rest of the stuff that you're seeing on American TV I mean uh Chuck, if I recall correctly uh, up until very recently you weren't a big Doctor Who fan at all, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I watched about, like, the last season and a half of Russell T. Davies' run, and I, I liked it. It was re- really fun. I like talking about it on TVZ, but I wasn't really actually excited about it until, uh, I guess, you know, Matt Smith came on, <laughs> and Amy Pond and all those great characters. And I, I love the show now. Like, I think it's, it's one of the best uh, TV shows on TV.
0: Awesome. And what about you, uh, Jeff and Chris? You guys are a little more uh, diehard, right?
1: Yeah, well, I
2: Jeff's the most. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, I uh, I discovered Doctor Who when I was in college, which was in the early '90s. I went to Best Buy and I bought up Doctor Who on VHS tapes. I spent like a thousand dollars on wow. buying <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who VHS tapes. Little did I know, six years later, it was, everything would switch to DVD, and those tapes would be worthless. Um, so that's when I started watching Doctor Who, and obviously, I caught it on public television. And uh, when I didn't have any more Doctor Who to watch, I started reading the New Adventures and the Missing Adventures and the Virgin lines of books and really enjoyed those. And uh, I religiously went to the Usenet group RecArts Doctor Who. I went there like every day to see if there was any news at all about a Doctor Who revival. And so when I finally read about the Russell T. Davies series that had been given the green light, that they had a logo and they were casting, it was really, really exciting. I thought I would never live to see new Doctor Who again. And here it was, finally. And uh, it, you know, it exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. Now, do you now or have you ever owned a scarf?
0: Uh, I own a scarf, but not a Doctor Who scarf. I'd love one. Okay, so you're actually not a real fan then. Chris, what about you? (laughs) I I guess I'm
2: sort of in the middle. Uh, I I definitely consider myself a massive Doctor Who fan. I frequently watch classic series episodes, especially now that there's so many on Netflix, but um, I got into it early on in Television Zombies uh, when I was on that show. I hadn't really... I'd watched the 96 TV movie, which... Probably not the greatest introduction to Doctor Who, but that was definitely the first Doctor Who thing I saw. Kind of enjoyed it for what it was, forgot about it for many years, and Jeff just loved Doctor Who so much that um, I got into it right as Series 3 was wrapping up. And I went back and watched the whole thing, and I was all caught up before Series 4 began.
0: Well, sweet. So. The first question I wanted to ask you guys is uh, where you think Doctor Who fits in an American TV with all the stuff that you consume, because it is an odd duck compared to just about anything else that I've uh, ever that I've ever seen. Um, there's just this different feel for it, and I was wondering if you
1: guys agree. Um, I don't know that I would think it's that odd. Um, there not
3: anymore. Show- there I kind of do think it is. I well, mean, there were shows.
1: I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say I don't. I don't think it's that odd. I think that I mean, in terms of what's on now, there aren't really that many American shows like Doctor Who. But a few years ago, you had Buffy, you had Angel, you had Farscape, you had shows on TV that were definitely influenced by Doctor Who and did the kinds of things that Doctor Who did on a pretty low budget and. Felt in some ways like Doctor Who. Um, at least that's what I thought when I was watching those hmm. shows. I mean, I sort I think, of think
2: of it the, a little bit the the opposite is true since it came back. Jeff, I don't know. Like, I think that you know Russell T Davies was really, really influenced by what, the stuff that Joss Whedon was doing.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, I think I think that's definitely the case. And I remember reading that um, he actually visited the set of Buffy when he was first yeah. thinking about uh, pitching a revival of Doctor Who. But I do think that those shows do definitely have a Doctor Who influence, especially Farscape, um, which I know that you're not a fan of, Chris. But, um, you know. I don't know it too well. But there are Farscape episodes that are a lot like Doctor Who, um, at yeah. least in the, in the kinds of ideas that are in, in the show. I mean, Doctor Who mixes humor, adventure, you know, in, in a way that a lot of other shows don't. And I think those. Those shows definitely it not campy humor necessarily, but just generally like it can jump from being funny to serious to tragic to you know romantic, romantic to funny again. Yeah. Um,
2: or even sometimes.
1: Hello?
0: We sometimes sometimes. Don't leave us in suspense there, Chris.
2: Oh, I I didn't know that you guys expected me to keep going. Um, Let's edit some of
0: that (laughs) (laughs) Edit point number two. Now, I heard a dissenting uh, voice uh, from Seattle there. Uh, Chuck, why do you you think uh, Doctor Who's a little
3: more odd? Well, I I mean, it is odd in the sense that, yeah, it it is very much like Buffy and Angel. But those shows haven't been around for a long time now. And in, in current television, it is unlike any american tv that's on right now because it's not cynical like to me it's not cynical that's
2: true
1: that's that's very true yeah
2: yeah i I mean i guess i was sort of thinking of the um the production values the emotion behind it and and the way it mixes genres in a sense like i think that a lot of shows that we watch do some of those things but i definitely agree with chuck that it's one of the most positive shows on and even when it's like a dark episode it's still overall like a very positive uh right. there's always a sense centric. of hope
0: yeah and and i need that sometimes
2: cuz we can watch some pretty dark stuff sometimes and if that's all you watch it's depressing it's too bleak
0: <laughs> well yeah, I, right. I i might i might quibble with the hope thing uh based on the uh cliffhanger that we just got through watching on the impossible astronaut but
3: yeah, but, but there's still hope there like I, yeah. I know what doctor who's about i know that he's not going to like Become all bleak and dark and serious, like uh, Torchwood, for example. Yeah, you know right, it's never gonna right. be Torchwood. The Doctor's never gonna like really
2: pick up a gun himself. You know he finds the way to come back from like some. Right now, the cliffhanger to The Impossible Astronaut. I mean, it seems impossible, but we sort of know that the Doctor comes up with an awesome solution that we we just haven't thought of yet. Like like last season, what was it? Um, Flesh okay. and Stone. Yeah. Remember, like, the the first part of that seemed like it was ending super, super bleak. And then uh, all of a sudden at the next one, you know, he inverts gravity and and they've escaped and it's super funny and everything. It's cool.
0: Yeah. Now, part of it, I think, is uh, the fact that in the UK, it's a family show. And I'm not aware of any show on American TV right now that uh, tries to go for that Bring the kids in and the adults, and try to have something for everybody. Oh, you guys, um,
2: Desperate Housewives. Uh,
3: <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: the uh, problem housewives there is of that
2: Atlanta. I don't know.
3: <laughs> there's there's Jersey a great Shore. divide between like children shows and adult shows. There's there's nothing that really brings the the, the parents and
1: kids together. Oh come on, Chuck! Dora the Explorer definitely brings the parents in too.
2: Yeah, well, but it's weird because th- we all grew up with kind of family friendly shows you know like greatest american hero or even sure. voyagers like or knight rider you know it was star like star trek
1: yeah totally,
2: totally there's not as many these days i mean maybe you can settle for something like the cape but i can't i wouldn't maybe that.
3: maybe the clone
1: wars
2: maybe
3: Actually, maybe that's except that decent. it's on the cartoon network and right. i think a lot of parents just generally write that off as kid. Kid yeah. Shows. yeah.
2: There might be a couple of cool dork parents that that like watch it with their right. kids. I, I bet a lot of them just plop their kids in front of it and are like, you know, watch it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh yeah, I think that's where the lack of cynicism comes from because uh you'd have to be really really nasty to market cynicism to kids. Or that or you'd have to be an American producer. Uh, exactly. <laughs> now, I've got to you know, uh, go, go ahead. Who,
2: Dr. Who just like has a unique history there because you know, it was it was intended to be a, uh, a family show, you know, and it was intended to educate and shows just aren't created like that anymore. It has the benefit of like being created in a, in a previous generation. You know what I'm saying? Like if Doctor Who was invented from scratch today, I don't think it would necessarily be as family friendly. I think it would be targeted at a very specific audience, you know, like this is for teenagers or this is for adults, but it wouldn't be a family show.
0: I wonder if being human, to, at least the UK version, would be more like, if, if you were inventing right. Doctor Who from scratch today.
2: Right, yeah, a genre Probably show so, yeah one yeah. to thirty-somethings.
1: True Blood. <laughs> yeah. oh, that might be a
0: little...
2: <laughs> I don't know how, uh, yeah, I guess I'd let my kid watch it. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah
0: that'd be, that, that's, that's a bit of twisted television right there. Um, well, Jeff, you've got kids. I've got a kid. Mine's, mine's nine years old and highly sensitive. So, you know, if the guilt were trouble for him, the silence are right out.
1: Uh, when do you think your kids are going to be ready for this show? Uh, not anytime soon. They are terrified of Doctor Who. And even though I tell them they're supposed to be terrified, they still uh, they still don't buy that they should watch it. They, how, how old are they now? They're five. They'll be six in July. And they are terrified of the Daleks. They've seen the Daleks and they do not like them. <laughs> they've, uh, they've seen the Cybermen. They don't like the Cybermen. And uh, they got a glimpse of the um, I forget the name of the, the the Silence is that what they're called the villains and yeah, uh yeah yeah in the Impossible Astronaut um, they got a glimpse of them and it was like whoa <laughs> that, that was like a nightmare had sprung out of the television set so no they're they're not gonna watch it anytime soon um, I wish they would watch it but unfortunately I I just don't think they're ready.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, let's. Uh, I know that in the immediately upcoming episode of Television Zombies, you guys spent some time on the Impossible Astronaut. But because I'm a sadistic, b- I'd like to put you guys through talking about it a little bit again. What you think of it?
1: It was incredible.
0: I loved it. I loved it too. I thought I thought it
3: was really solid. Yeah.
2: But you see, like just because we all love it, like doesn't mean we all love it at the same level.
3: This is then that, yeah, exactly. we
2: usually start nitpicking and going like, <laughs> like because Chuck is like, I loved it, but I loved last season's premiere more.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, th- I think there are better episodes, but I, I this is also a two parter, so it's kind of hard to. To yeah. entirely judge it, yeah, completely. So right. I, I, I'm I'm really excited to see what happens next. I love I love the creators. I love the actors. I think they're all r- really great at what they do, and I think the story is really intriguing. But there's just not enough there for me to completely say that it's the greatest.
1: I find that uh, I find I find myself surprised that, you know, Stephen Moffat recycles a lot of ideas and a lot of themes and a lot of like, plot twists but i find that it doesn't really bother me i i really i just like the way that he tells stories the rhythm of how the characters talk you know the way that things can be seem really really bleak one minute and the next minute it's like whoa you know the doctor's not dead it's, there's a past version of the doctor and he's still alive you know and i i just think that's really fantastic like and it, it, Russell T. Davies tried to get the hope thing in his, in his incarnation of the show. But I think that Moffat gets it just right. I mean, I think looking back at, um, at uh, the, uh, the empty child and the doctor dances, like, you know, the big, big bit at the end with everybody lives, Rose. Everybody I, lives. You know and also Jeff? I
2: was just about to say, like, if there is one line that summarizes what new Doctor Who is, it's got to be that. And that's a Stephen Moffat line.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, and and also Rose's um, Rose's talk with that girl about how the British actually won World War II and how they you know they stood their ground and fought the Nazis. This tiny little island won. I mean, I thought that was really great and really like indicative of what Doctor Who is about. Um, and I think Moffat gets it on a level that maybe I mean Russell T Davies got it too, but I think Moffat gets it even more. And so I feel like we get more of a pure Doctor Who from, from Moffat than we did from Russell T. Davies.
0: I was thinking that uh, – I, I can't make up my mind whether he's – whether Moffat is recycling stuff or if he's still telling the same story. Because he's got he, – he's, yeah. you know, the, the time can be rewritten stuff, the playing with time travel stuff. It seems to me like for him, that's what Doctor Who is. He's not recycling a trope. He's doing he's- Doctor Who.
2: I think he's doing variations on a theme a lot, kind of like a musician
3: might. Right, right. He's exploring and evolving the story as a whole. I, I mean, that's, he, that's what it seems like The same ideas like work, yeah. Right, right. Uh, I but mean, he, the idea he does, he, of
2: something creepy being just outside of your vision, basically. You right. know, it could be a statue. It could be the silence. It could be a shadow. I don't know. I mean, yeah, he repeats yeah. some things. The creepy I, I gotta things say, are,
3: like... This episode, probably more than any other, is frightening. Like really, horror. Like there's horrible imagery in it, and there's re- really scary stuff that's happening that I really like. And I, I, for the first time in a while, I've been scared watching that that show. I, like, I was I can't,
2: disturbed. I was definitely yeah.
3: disturbed. The silence yeah.
2: <laughs> is usually the best creature design that they've come up with in right. New Who, and I, I mean the Ood and the new Cybermen, things like that are great. They've had some missteps too here and there, but I don't want to complain.
1: The this IKEA Daleks. Right <laughs> yeah, think of them, yeah.
0: Now,
2: but, but they, that's not a total disaster. I just didn't care for it that much. Their butts but, are know, too big. Silence is amazing.
0: Now, uh, this is the, uh, in here in America, at least on the East Coast. Uh, Doctor Who airs at 9 p.m., which always struck me as crazy. But this seemed like the first episode that made that, that actually made sense. It seemed like a after dark. Yeah. Kind of thing, probably. Doctor Who After Dark. Now that's what I I, I thought. I
2: I can't have an opinion because I don't have kids. You know, it's it's hard to Uh, judge.
1: I don't know. Like I thought, Waters of Mars was pretty scary. I thought um, the The Impossible Planet and the Satan Pit were pretty scary. I mean, I, I think there were. There have definitely been episodes that have really pushed the family show boundaries for Doctor Who. I don't, I don't like, think nine, 9 o'clock is that wrong of a time in the States. And plus, you know, we don't have the concept of a watershed here. I think our kids right. stay up and watch TV later than That's true. Kids, kids in the UK do. I and mean, I,
2: I can't see the watershed idea like lasting forever over there either because, I mean, everybody's watching everything on demand these days anyway.
0: True dat. Now uh, let's go get your uh, <laughs> what did I did I not sound? Oh
2: no no that was perfectly uh, was totally, totally that was great lingo.
0: Okay yep. cool because I, I try you to right. I try to maintain my street credibility. Uh, so what do you guys think about where uh, Impossible Astronaut is going? I want to get your embarrassing predictions uh, starting with CK.
3: Oh, so I think um, there's something going on with that kid, the the girl. I think it's either possibly um, Amy's child or River Song as a as a child. Why not both? Or both possibly, but I, I don't I don't know about that. That that seems a little weird or far fetched. But uh, actually,
2: I've I, I can see that last happening. night. I started thinking about that Chuck, and I was just like,
3: maybe, maybe, yeah, like, maybe. Give, it, cause give us something. They were relating to each other about, you know, how this this doctor comes along and, uh, as they're a little, when they're a little girl and changes their life forever. And, uh, how can you not fall in love with that? But it's sort of like the same story. And I can kind of see that them being related to each other through that story. And why not, why not through blood?
1: Maybe. I, I think, uh, I think that the, the individual in the spacesuit who kills the doctor in the beginning is actually the doctor.
0: Hmm, uh, pretty- interesting. Uh, uh, interesting. Uh, you know you'll notice I'm th- towards. I was
1: going to say towards the end of the episode, you'll see the doctor puts the helmet on and opens the visor. I right. think that's a cue that that's what's going to happen. And you know, since the doctor knows it's going to happen, and he, you know, he responds the way he does when the visor gets lifted. I, I think it's the doctor.
2: I think that Amy's pregnancy is in danger and that they were trying to like give some sort of foreshadowing for that when she like just after she tells the doctor that she's pregnant she ends up shooting like the child in the astronaut suit. I thought that that was some sort of important imagery um and that the doctor will have to somehow help her save the baby at
0: some point.
1: I don't um, yeah I, I don't think the baby's going to pl- I think the baby's <laughs> going to be like a season long arc. I don't think it's it's going to be resolved next episode.
0: Well, a couple of people pointed out, and uh, you did on Twitter yesterday, Chris, that uh, early on, Amy's drinking wine. I thought that was weird. That that, that took me back. I know that not every country or culture has the same... yeah. issue. With well, that, they drink like I, fish I, in
1: England. They're all alcoholics.
3: Right. <laughs> but you, you can, you can't, like I, like I... Send your cards and letters I, to yeah, Jeff Chuck, in Chuck, Washington. Chuck corrected me. I did correct one. him, and I said that you can actually drink wine on occasion in very small amounts when you're pregnant. I, it, I still thought it was an odd storytelling decision,
2: but you, I definitely am willing to just go along with it that maybe that that's all it was, and they just didn't think anything of it.
3: Right. Um, and who's Who says it was wine? Maybe it could have just been juice in a a wine glass. I guess.
1: (laughs) I don't know. I drink. I drink juice in wine glasses all the time. He he
3: did explicitly (laughs) say that it was wine, and you tasted it and spit it out. Yeah. Perch, we would never have
0: done such a thing.
2: I. I. I, Um. I went back and watched two episodes that this. This one reminded me of. Um. There was. The stuff with uh, the doctor looking at the astronaut at the beginning reminded me of logopolis where um tom baker's fourth doctor was looking at the watcher so that actually just now when you said that jeff like that um you thought it was the doctor himself maybe like maybe that was really staged to remind the hardcore fans of logopolis
0: it Um, it totally did that to me yeah
3: yeah what what happens in logopolis
0: that was a uh, a a figure a a white figure called the watcher who is uh technobabble the doctor's future incarnation meets the the fourth doctor just before the fourth doctor dies so they're standing side by side and it looked a little bit like the impossible astronaut mm.
2: it, it and then he regenerates cuz the the doctor the doctor had actually prepared for his death and anyway, it's it's just a piece of the story yeah it's it, it's it's a decent one to watch um and and then I also when I saw the the control room that Rory and River Song investigated, that looked a lot like the sort of tardisy set that was in the Lodger, and it seems to be the exact same set.
3: Yeah, I thought it was. I think and, we reported yeah. that that was the that was going to be used again.
2: Yeah, I think so. Because I went back and I watched the Lodger guys, and um, there are two. Moments in that. I don't know how we didn't catch this. There are two moments where Amy Pond in the TARDIS Seems to be talking to somebody else on the TARDIS or like basically is surprised to see somebody else on the TARDIS and then forgets about it Huh, and I think like at the time we thought that maybe she was Talking on you know over the calm to the doctor, but it seems really weird now I'm almost like a hundred percent sure like I only saw this uh, today but I, I, I'm positive that there's a silence on the TARDIS, and there has but, been for a while.
3: Ooh. Wouldn't 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 she have remembered that by seeing them again, or not possibly the the crack took the memory away? Maybe, maybe. or maybe e- each one
2: is different. Mm. Like maybe you can remember that you saw that one, but not another one.
0: Maybe wow. Well, just, we got... just
2: watch it again. There's there's two moments that that are really not like hard to find. Where Amy just goes, "Hey," or "What the?" It's like two scenes like that.
0: Okay, we'll check it out. And then we've got like six more episodes, and then a summer break. Uh, time for Torchwood, I guess. At that point, and then hey. another, and then another no. six episodes.
2: Oh, come on! I, I loved last Torchwood. I know it's dark, but I thought that Children of Earth was really cool. I,
0: I, I'd forgotten you didn't you didn't care for Children of Earth, Chuck.
3: Uh, I thought it was uh, pretty decent. Um, I thought the like first three episodes were really great. It kind of fell apart at the end, but it, it was also—I don't know—it was, it, it was a solid show. I liked it way more than the first two seasons. You—you're oh,
0: yeah. uh, wearing a Save Saviento Jones button right now, aren't you, Chuck? <laughs> <laughs>
3: I can't tell you how disturbed I am by that show. <sighs> I find it—I find it grotesque. It's,
1: it, had, it had the potential to be such a – and I say had in past tense, uh, but uh, it had the potential <laughs> to be such a great show, but they just took it in the wrong direction. Um, well,
2: I think that, J- Jeff, just you've like always a, been been hung up on one thing, Jeff. You seem to want Jack Harkness to be the Jack Harkness that he was in this, the early episodes of Doctor Who where he's almost like this like happy-go-lucky dude, and that's just not what he ever was in Torchwood.
1: I know, which I just always felt – I felt like they had this great character in Jack Harkness, but by making him tor- tortured and angsty in Torchwood that it just diminished my interest in him. Like,
3: there's, there's just a lot of gratuity in that show that I'm not a, a fan of. It's, it's
1: an ugly show. It's the cynicism that we were talking about. Yeah, it's too cynical. It's as You guys are just hung Dr. up du over the high optimistic.
2: fives over his new jacket.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that was actually a high point on the show <laughs> That
0: was Oh, well, we, we're we about to run out of time um, <clears throat> And I wanted to go through the news of the week real quick And get some of your reactions uh, Obviously, last Tuesday, we lost Elizabeth Sladen um, uh, I'd call
2: that sad news
0: Yeah that was uh completely unexpected uh, took me by surprise uh and took a lot of people a lot of people took it a lot harder than uh actors like Nicholas Courtney and uh, producers like Barry Letts uh you know um did There's you guys,
1: did you guys uh did you guys watch her stuff when you were kids well i didn't watch it when i was a kid but when i discovered doctor who in a, in college the first season that i watched of doctor who i, I can't remember the season number, but it started with robot um and you know went through where it was it was the Tom Baker doctor the fourth doctor and uh Sarah Jane and Harry Sullivan and I loved that that dynamic and that group of characters and yeah. I just loved Sarah Jane and I was so sad when Sarah Jane left the show and so happy to see her again when David Tennant um Doctor encountered her uh, I just I think that you know it's a great character and Elizabeth Sladen it went from being like the you know this cute, smart, like resourceful companion to being like this really awesome sort of like elder statesman, um, grandmotherly figure. She and, became
2: the prototypical companion. There's just no doubt. I mean, a- after she came about, everybody else was, you know, had to compare themselves against Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah, uh, and totally. until until
1: Ace. Not, not well. I mean, Ace yeah. was the best companion yeah. after Sarah Jane, and that was like ten years. I um, know.
2: I kind of agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they,
0: they, they
2: seem to have genuine affection for each other. You know, the Doctor and, and Sarah Jane Smith. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah. That last that last uh, scene uh, before she left the show was uh, yeah. just awesome. Uh, other other news: uh, Matt Smith was nominated for a BAFTA, which is the British Primetime Emmy, basically for Best Actor. Oh, I don't uh, nominate anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Matt, Smith's the, Matt Smith's the first Doctor Who act, uh, actor that uh, really caught your attention, Chuck.
3: Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I think he is one of the best actors to come out of England recently. Um, and pretty much because of Doctor Who. Like, I, I think he does a, a really amazing job on that show.
2: No, I totally agree with Chuck. I mean, he blows me away with his performance. It, it's... He can go from looking like this energetic kook that's you know spinning and off balance to to this really sort of tired old man. I can I feel like I can see his age when he lets us. You know, sometimes he lets down his guard and yeah, he's I, really
3: good at subtlety, but also you know grandiose
1: behaviors. I, I feel more so than uh, than Eccleston and Tennant, even though Tennant was a huge Doctor Who fan, that. I feel more like the Matt Smith doctor is a continuation of like Sylvester McCoy and Colin Baker and and Colin uh, Baker. Well, I mean, I'm I'm saying like going back like the line of doctors. I mean, Colin Baker is not the greatest doctor, but what I'm saying is like in I, I terms see Patrick
2: of, Troughton in him, but that's yeah, me.
1: I I haven't seen very many Patrick Troughtons, but I mean oh. the sense that he can be kind of dark and kind of unreliable. Um, that's true. I I feel like. I feel like it's interesting that Matt Smith was not really a fan of the show before he, he got cast and he's so great as the doctor. I mean, I think he might even be better than David Tennant who was kind of like the super fan doctor who clearly loved the character. Um, but his doctor was way different from the doctors. He started to
2: become a superhero.
1: He did. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally think he did. And, uh, and I think like, his whole I was really a little put off at the end of his run where he didn't want to regenerate. I felt like it was kind of self involved and um, <laughs> it wasn't what I expected of the doctor. Whereas Matt Smith makes me feel a lot more like the doctor should be.
0: Uh, yeah. Moving on, uh, record ratings for The Impossible Astronaut on BBC America and Space. Things were a little down in the UK, but, uh, yeah, but I not- thought
2: that was an interesting comparison, actually.
0: I, d- I think most of that had to do with weather and not a whole lot of people watching mm. a lot of television you know in comparison to other uh shows uh Doctor Who was fantastic, but over here uh doc let me look at at b b c America here well, are the to shows be fair, that have... they
3: they are they are gearing up for the royal wedding yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> because i know I know so many Doctor Who fans are just at the edge of their seats over Buckingham Palace. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, if if Donald Trump was getting remarried, maybe we wouldn't have tuned into Doctor <laughs> Who either. We'd have all been watching that.
0: <laughs> but on BBC America, the record-breaking shows, as I understand it, the ones that have just cleaned up for them, at first it was uh, Torchwood Children of Earth, then it was Doctor Who uh, End of Time, and then new record set by The Eleventh Hour, and then a new record set by... Uh, the Impossible Astronaut, and they're pouring all kinds of promo in there. You can't look at a, Good. you can't look at a DC comic without seeing Doctor Who on the back cover.
2: You know, I think that the Doctor Who is, is definitely safe for a while because beyond just the ratings, the fact is it is now an intellectual property that the BBC can license and generate a lot of revenue off of things like toys. <laughs> so. There are ancillary revenue streams these days I'll the have
0: you know d- that my d- sonic business. screwdriver is not a toy, it's a replica <laughs> uh, and if your nine year old touches it, he is getting in trouble. <laughs> I didn't mean to talk over you
2: no that's okay, sir
0: uh, and uh near sweep for Hugo nominations at the world science fiction uh convention um the nominations. There's this animated short called The Lost Thing by Sean Tan, and then there's uh, Me, Bray Bradbury, the music video by Rachel Bloom, and everything else that's been nominated for a Hugo for short-form drama is Doctor Who, A Christmas Carol, Doctor Who, Vincent and the Doctor, Doctor Who, The Pandorica Opens, The Big Bang. Uh, hardcore sci-fi fans love them some Doctor Who. That's, well, um, I don't think I, that
2: there's a whole lot of, competition um for short form because doctor who usually does pick up one or two
1: nominations i'm surprised that the walking dead wasn't nominated
2: yeah that's the only thing yeah yeah i feel like you know something like next year i expect to see game of thrones in there as long as they count fantasy but um yeah
1: they definitely do
2: yeah you know what why not walking dead or supernatural i don't know that
3: first episode of walking dead is pretty much yeah the first episode
1: yeah, I can't think of anything that's, I mean, in terms of like how it was constructed. That's yeah, it was like a movie. For, yeah, it was, it was really phenomenal. I mean, as much as I love Doctor Who, I, I still would give the edge to the Walking Dead pilot. Are any of these episodes, uh, as far as the three of you are
0: concerned, do any of these three not belong in that list? Um, <laughs>
1: I like all three quite a bit.
2: I, I would have replaced, I love Christmas Carol, but I might have replaced it with The Eleventh Hour.
1: Uh, if what about God was eligible, or, or or
0: what about you, Chuck? Would you replace any one of those with uh, The Walking Dead or something like that?
3: Uh, yeah, I, I probably would have definitely replaced uh, Vincent and the Doctor with The Walking Dead.
2: I think if it was so. up to Chuck and I, we might replace all five with uh, Supernatural episodes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, we're Supernatural. Come on. Oh,
1: we're pretty big on. fans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, this time dilation episode has uh, gone on for a while, and I need to let you go before this starts really feeling like you've done an extra episode of Television Zombies. No, it's fun. And I'm so glad to have you guys on to return the favor after uh, so many times. Uh, I said early on that when you guys, in before we started recording, that uh, when you guys invited me to contribute to Television Zombies, it made this eager young space cadet of a podcaster feel like a real boy all of a sudden
1: <laughs> well thank you we're glad we're glad
0: we could have made you feel that way <laughs> uh wrap let's let's wrap this up uh guys uh real quick tell us what tv shows us doctor who fans who really need to broaden her, our horizons what should we be watching starting with uh chris
2: okay uh game of thrones if, if i can only list one Uh, And that's this summer. It's concurrent with Doctor Who. Definitely check out Game of Thrones. It's fantastic. Um, And if I can list another, I'll go with Supernatural again.
1: Okay, Jeff. Uh, Definitely Game of Thrones. Um, Also, uh, The Killing on AMC.
2: Oh, yeah, that's good.
1: And Chuck. Yeah,
3: pretty much all those shows that they just said. I'm a a really big fan of them. Awesome. I'll throw in something else. Uh, Archer. It's sort of sci-fi. Sort of. It's a spy show. Yeah, and it's got great mythology and uh continuity. And
0: and it's funny. Yeah. Funny is good. Uh and uh what have you guys got coming up in the next couple of episodes of uh television zombies again? Uh Game of Thrones,
2: Doctor Who, um this summer we'll definitely be covering Torchwood.
0: Um we'll probably talk surprise. some more about
3: the killing.
2: Yep. Yeah, yeah we gotta get back to that one.
0: And in the immediately upcoming episode, uh, this shy, unassuming chap named Tony Lee,
2: Tony Lee, and then um James Isles,
0: fantastic.
1: And uh, you got another podcast going on uh, from time to time, uh, don't you, Jeff? We do. It's called Join Ops Monthly. It's the unofficial Call of Duty Universe podcast. We've lately been talking about Call of Duty Black Ops, um, but we've had interviews with uh, through Chris, obviously because Chris is our our interview uh, specialist. Um, we've had uh, an interview certain with Rick Remender. Yeah, Rick certain affinity who's a map map uh, pack developer, did maps for Halo and for Call of Duty, also Rick Remender who wrote the video game Bullet Storm. All right.
0: Guys, thank you so much for being on 2 Minute Time Lord increasingly inaccurately named and uh, <laughs> check these guys out at televisionzombies.com. Thanks Chip.
1: Thanks. Thanks thank Chip. You,
0: thank you.